Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 169. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and back with me this week is CEO of Zega Financial, my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pastorcelli. Jay, how are you doing today? Good, Derek. Uh, well, we're recording this on a Friday, and I'm sure we could both use a little weekend time, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of interesting because we've had intraday, we'll see the market closes, but we hit minus 20% down on the S&P. That's an official quote unquote bear market, although you know the NASDAQ has already been above uh, you know bear market territory. It's been kind of orderly though. Like This has taken the year to date. So that's from the old high, which I think was in January, but year to date, I mean, the market's down. I know you were looking at some data earlier that, what is it, six weeks in a row, seven weeks in a row, and that hasn't happened and since. Well, yeah, I mean, at this point, it feels like it'll probably be seven weeks in a row of declines. Um, so the orderly part is right. This is like the slow, you know, removal of the Band-Aid. It's just taken a long time. And, and quite frankly, you know, we, the last you know, five, six years, you're not used to that kind of a decline lasting this long, right? We're going to be five months into this thing, right? We're almost through May. And, uh, you know, the previous, you know, I'll say corrections, I'll count 2018 in there, bear market even, and uh, obviously COVID were much quicker than this. And so it just feels longer, right? The the slow removal of the Band-Aid has been difficult for people to uh, to feel comfortable with, no doubt. You know, we're going to talk about the the five R's today, which is, uh, you know, reduction in the market multiple, recession, rates, retail, uh, specifically Walmart and, and Target, what that really means. And and Russia, I, I will say, though, Jay, and I was looking at some data earlier, because I do remember this, the spike in CNBC viewership typically calls the bottom of markets, like March of 09 was the highest uh, that they had in, I don't know, like a a while period. I looked at what, I don't know if this is a legitimate source or not. I have no, I don't follow ratings. Right. But I did look and, uh, March 20 was uh, March of 20 was the, the spike in CNBC ratings. That's viewers and ratings really haven't been that high. And I think that speaks to sort of the slow drip that the decline is like, there hasn't been like a, you know, you're watching people make breakfast on the local morning show and, and the S and P or the Dow Jones ticker is in the bottom right. We haven't really had that yet, Jay. No, that that and by the way, that is an indicator. You know, the the anecdotal indicator that you've used in the past when the mainstream uh, media is out there talking about the change in the stock market. But you know, at this point, we probably are going to hear some of that. Uh, I mean, it's it's got to be coming soon, right? S and P down twenty percent. I know it took five months, four and a half months to get here, but um, yeah, that's probably going to show up. And Derek, you're not wrong about that, right? I think you have a don't you have like a rice grain story about that real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah. Real briefly, uh, that's my Kathy Lee Gifford indicator. So Right, the Kathy not, Lee Gifford. Not, <laughs> rough rice. <laughs> uh, I forget what year this was. It was probably, I don't know, 05, 06. I don't remember. But rough rice had the chart of like the tulip bubble, being the prices. And I'm sitting in my dentist chair and they have CNBC, or, sorry, the Today Show on. It's the one where her and, and her co-host used to drink wine and talk for an hour. And they showed a chart of rough rice. Nobody shows a chart of rough rice. And they were talking about, you know, should you buy, where are you going to find rice? There's going to be no rice. And that was the absolute top of the market, Jay. So That was it? 
that was it, huh? There yeah. You go. I actually, uh, full disclosure, I actually shorted a rough rice future. They probably had to knock on the guy's, you know, home and say, Hey, somebody wants to trade rough rice. I didn't have the guts to stay in it, made a little bit of money, but I, that would have been a huge trade if I just would have held. But I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I just know that <laughs> Kathy Lee just, Gibbard's talking rough rights, you know? It's time to short it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got you. I got you. We all have those so, kind of interesting indicators. So speaking of the store shelves, uh, Walmart and Target over the week, uh, kind of a rough go. Target had, what, a minus 25% drop. Uh, Walmart had about an 11% drop. I think both of them saw year-over-year revenues increase, but I think they both missed on EPS, and I think they guided lower. Um, What is this telling us, Jay? I mean, to me, this is about the margin story, right? Or is it about too much inventory? I don't know. What do you take from this? Uh, I think it's, you know, gosh, a broken record, but I, I, you know, interpret it all as inflation is finding its way into the retail space, right? It's Target said, uh, I think it said it's going to cost us a billion dollars extra just for things like transportation, I think, right? I'm sorry if I missed that exact what the CEO said, right? So it's just the additional costs associated with them doing business have, you know, really made its way into earnings, right? And they haven't passed it all through to the end client yet. I think they realize they can't do that just yet. Um, you know, so you, it, it begs the question of either they're going to, you know, what do they do? Do they stop making the money that they need to operate or you know, do they dig into profits or do they pass it on to the consumer, which again, and gets, gets reflected in that inflation number. So, you know, to me, it's, you know, inflation is not waning, right? Where we, you know, we know, I know we get numbers every month about CPI change and PPI change. But to me, it's that, okay, now the, the rubber's starting to meet the road where people are starting to see it in everything. And, uh, you know, Target is the latest victim. You know, Walmart, the market didn't mind so much when Walmart missed, right? When Walmart said they, they had the rough story. You know, the market, actually, I think it was up that day, even though Walmart was down. But then when Target kind of fell into line, that was it, right? Everything kind of fell apart. And I think we had one of the worst days of the year. Um, and so it's just, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I, you know, I, to me, it's more of the inflation story, which, you know, might lead to the next R if you want to jump there or if you want to comment more about retail. Well, I think it's, and, and by the way, this is where I remind people that uh, you and I both know how to look at numbers. We know how to look at analyst forecast and we know how to do the calculations. Neither of us are retail analysts. We're not channel checking. We don't have sources on the loading dock like a, you know, an, an analyst would have. Uh, but I, I did think that some of this was, and I, I saw some commentary on on the idea of their inventories uh, built quite a bit. So, you know, maybe it's one of those things where they built their inventories uh, because that was tough to do. And it's just going to take a little time for for the sales to to catch up. Or, as you said, the contra side of this is, yeah, they're having their input costs are rising. They're going to have to raise costs. And if their margins, maybe this is the first question of, are these high margins, which we've seen over the last year, are they durable? And maybe that's one of the question marks there. It's, a, it's an indicator because, you know, even on, I know retail sales was strong. I think it was up 0.9%. Uh, I forget what it was year over year. But on a real basis, adjusted for inflation, retail sales was lower. And I think that speaks to your point, Jay, about 
the idea of inflation is hitting some of this, uh, you know, the purchasing power of, of consumers for sure. But, you know, if, if we think about reduction of multiples in the market, I think that's where we're going to go next. Yeah, no, we, we could talk about that with the multiples. And, you know, I would say just one last piece on the retail. It would be really bad timing if you loaded up the shelves while things were most expensive to load up, like meaning the costs were the most and you're trying to get that inventory back onto the shelves. You know, that's that's a little unfortunate timing, right? That could also, that happens, right? That that could happen and that'll find its way into earnings and margins, right? And Or it's brilliant and they are ahead of the curve, Jay, if inflation keeps going up. But let's save inflation for a little bit, right? Sounds good. Um, <laughs> so that. reduction in the multiple, I think some of the numbers I looked at, uh, this is according to JP Morgan, uh, guide to the markets, which if you're not uh, looking at that, it's it's an invaluable, it's like 70 pages of just charts. One of the things we saw was that, okay, year to date, multiple is down. This is as of the close yesterday, close to 24%, meaning earnings has been up. The multiple has contracted, meaning what people are willing to pay for future earnings. I mean, Jay, that's really the story this year. And by the way, we've mentioned this uh, previously on the episodes we've done. Multiple contracted 7 or 8% last year too. So this is the story right now, right? I mean, that is the thing that it's, that's really driving, I think, the equity market declines, right? I mean, that maybe, I, I don't know which one it is, right? It, it, it's, it's the, I guess it's the result, right? It's the easiest way to explain like, hey, corporate earnings are growing, yet the market's down 20%. How is that possible? And you nailed it by saying people are, you know, willing, they're, they're not willing to pay as much for future earnings as they were in the past. And so the market needs to get a little discount to those earnings, right? It's all about corporate earnings and interest rates for me. You know that I always talk about that. So even though earnings are on the, still moving higher, it's the projection that they're not as valuable that is getting reflected into the market, right? So you know, and and that is sometimes uh, well, you know, I'll leave another R, right? I mean, these are all linked. Like all of these items that we're talking about today are linked. But you know that that reduction in the multiple. Um, is something that fundamental investors will look at to decide when the market is cheap or expensive. When rates were low with the zero rate policy, uh, you know, previously, then, you know, you had to be willing to pay a little more. Now with rates coming higher, you know, your cash can actually make you a little money, maybe not on a real real basis yet, but uh, those earnings, um, you're not going to pay up as much. Plus, now you're worried about maybe they won't be as good as maybe they're going to stop growing, right? So, you know that that reduction in the in the PE ratio is definitely something that a lot of fundamental investors look at. You know, we've talked, Derek, about the average and what we think the downside is on that, right? So, where you know, if you took a snapshot today, where are we on PEs? Is it around 16? Maybe not today, like this second, but you know, the most recent numbers that we have are where are we on the PE ratio for say the S&P? Yeah, I, I think as of the, uh, I think it's about 16 poor, 16.4 as of uh, the close yesterday. That's the forward. So what are the earnings estimates? Four quarters out, what's our price? Our price divided by the four quarter out estimates. Yeah, Jay, about 16.4. 16.4. So look, that's kind of the average, by the way, right? For everybody that's wondering, is that high or low? That's and That's close to the historical average. If people really want to let the pendulum swing the other side, you know, 
In deep recessions, it goes much lower. But you and I talked about maybe a 14 PE ratio as a potential, you know, and again, picking a number out of the air. We don't have any, you know, that's not that's not our deal. That's not what we, we project. But if the pendulum overswings on this, you know, contraction in the PE ratio, 14 doesn't seem like that far of an overswing. And that could be pretty detrimental to the markets as well. You know, it's it's interesting because all of this, uh, we are technicians at heart. We look at fundamentals and I, I look at fundamentals. I know you do too. But it's the decisions that people make based upon their expectations that really drive markets. And markets tend to overestimate on or overswing to the upside and the downside. The Fed does that with interest rates. They over, overshoot to the upside. They undershoot sometimes. And it's not an exact science. And I, Jay, I wanted to deviate for 30 seconds and just show you how much, you know, <laughs> when people are doing like these valuation, they're, they're putting in all these inputs and you have to put in like, what's your future cash flows or what's your future earnings? What's the interest rate going to be? And how many years are you going to grow? And, you know, to give you an example, like Tesla's a good, uh, and, and, you know, we're not saying to buy or sell anything on, on this program. But Tesla, as of a, a little while ago, what was it like six hundred seventy bucks or something like that, I think, or six sixty five. And you know, if you looked at their their cash flow last year, and you said, "Hey, I got to do an intrinsic valuation of how, in the present, I can justify the price," they'd have to grow about forty two percent a year for the next five years and thirty four percent in years five through 10, and then 3% perpetually, right? What I'm doing there is a, is a reverse discounted cash flow. It's not an exact science. Like markets trade where markets trade. But you're so right, Jay, because they trade sometimes based upon perceptions. And so far, the perception has been that earnings are going to hold up and margins are going to hold up. And I think that's one of the reasons why at the end of the year, we were trading at three times price to the sales on the S&P. I think we're below two and a half now. But this market is pricing in that earnings will hold up. Let me let me let you comment, though. I don't know if you like my little quick reverse discounted cash flow on Tesla, but... Oof, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Tesla, you could pick anywhere between 1100 to 600 in the last two months, right? Like you you pick the price and then do that math on your on your cash flow. Right. I think there there is, obviously, this is why, you know, people talk about stocks being expensive or cheap. Obviously, from that approach, Tesla is very expensive, right? Again, not a recommendation because Tesla trades a lot on speculative growth and future earnings and the impact. Um, there is, I don't even know how you put the dollar amount on the, the Elon factor. There are a lot of people that just trust that guy to be the genius that he is, right? So, I, you know, it's, so it doesn't, it may not matter. Right. But a fundamental analyst is probably never buying Tesla. They're just I don't know any model that they could use where they go. Yeah, it makes sense to buy something, you know, at, at this ratio against earnings. So it's just it's not it's not something. But a, a technical yeah. trader absolutely would. They look at the chart and they go, well, that's the lowest it's been in a year. Spent a lot of time north of that. Upside is twelve hundred. Downside is four hundred. Feels like a good trade to me. Let me get in and dip my toe in in case it rallies. Like it's just a different approach, right? Yeah, and I'll and I'll also throw a caveat on the overall market. I mean, look, the people who are saying we're in a bubble, I told you it was going to crash. They've been saying that for fifteen years. They've been saying it for twenty years, and so all this stuff is in an exact science. How's that? That's that's how. But let me let me get back to one of the the multiple, and that's 
You know, Jay, the earnings estimates are, I think, some of the ones that I had, I'll just throw them out here. I think for 2022, it's like $208. And then, you know, what is it, 228 or two? Ash, I should actually yeah, look for, at for 22. Today. I think we, you and I were talking, it was like 228 and a half. Yeah, for, uh, for 2022. 228. Yeah, so yeah. 228 for 222, 251, and I think like 276, and that's per share on on the S&P 500. And also uh, margins to, to remain pretty robust as well. So, Jay, the earnings story is, so when we think about some of the outcomes, if earnings stay up, all right, everybody takes a, a deep breath because the earnings are still growing, right? They are. Yeah. Sorry. It was, it was a question to me. Yes. Earnings are still growing. Earnings are still uh, going up right at the tone of what? 9% a year. Yeah. Right around there. Sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so, it, earnings are still going up. That's, that's one part of the story and that's one of the estimates. So if earnings can maintain or maybe they're underestimated, you know, first quarter, I think most companies beat their estimates. That would be a big positive. I, I guess the question is, can if if you believe in the earnings, then it's a question of the margins. And if the margins can hold up, well, then you really have you know something that's that's interesting. But yeah, I think you know the inflation story does at least confuse on the margin point a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I when I think about the outcomes, it's inflation goes back down, earnings stay where they are. And that's a good outcome for the market. What you don't want to see is earnings contract, inflation stay up, and the Fed be really aggressive. That's the counter, you know, balance to the, those two views. One isn't, you know, that great. We're much closer to to where we'd probably end up in in a really bad scenario. And by the way, that's that's why we hedge, right? Because we we don't make predictions in the markets. But I think that's that's really, you know, before we, tra- I guess we got to transition to one of the other R's, Jay, but. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think yeah. the reduction, the reduction in the mar- multiple so far has been er- uh, rates going up. I think that's what it is because it hasn't been a reduction in earnings, right? Is it? Yeah, right. It hasn't been a reduction of earnings, so the multiple is changing. Was it fair to say that you know the PE ratio is almost the f- a fear slash greed factor, right? When stock investors are greedy. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're more optimistic. They have a better outlook. They're willing to pay more. And when stock investors are fearful, they go, eh, I don't know what's going to happen. And even if earnings don't change or go up, you can have a reduction in the multiple, which drives the market down. It's almost like the emote to me, it can be like the emotional disposition of the market. That's one of the ones we talk about. But to me, that from a fundamental perspective, it kind of feels like it's telling you the tone of, 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 uh, of fear and greed. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I mean, think about you could have bought the market in the late seventies for like an eight, a forward eight PE probably or a ten. I, I don't. I'm making that up, but I, I know the actual PEs were single digits. Nobody wanted stocks back then. I mean, nobody cared, you know. But like you said, when when PEs are really high, people. Um, I think that's a good way of putting it. Maybe we. I, I'm gonna have to do some research on that. Maybe we can build build something or maybe it's just too much work and we'll just pretend it makes a lot of sense. Right. But, um, <laughs> that seems yeah. easiest. Yeah. But not, but I, I mean, when people are paying a lot for future earnings, the, I mean, look at the end of 2020 or 2021, 
the Fed was still saying transitory, right? So if you had the view that that inflation was transitory and going to come down, then you have the view that earn, that um, uh, Fed doesn't have to raise rates as much, that bond yields stay down, earnings are still good. And yeah, you can still pay up for for the multiple. I think that's, that view is changed. I mean, that, that's that been proven not to be the case. And if you think, you know, now it's it's just like when we sell volatility. If you think the underlying asset's going to move less than the volatility is pricing in, well, that's a good trade. If you think that everything is baked into the market right now, then maybe 16 and a half forward PE, assuming earnings stay, is a good trade, right? Um, but somebody's wrong and somebody's right. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I don't know. It's, uh, but so far, definitely, it's, it's been a, a reduction in the multiple, Jay. I, should we transition to one of the other R's? Well, yeah. And I think one of the, yes. And, and one of the ones I always think about when it comes to that is, uh, is rates. Can we transition to rates? Yeah, let's do rates. Go ahead. Go, okay. go with rates. So I always, I always, you know, the, 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 the argument here is as in, as advisors, you know, what can I do with the, with, with client investment dollars, right? What can I do with my cash, right? Sit on it, not invest it. You can put it in bonds. You can put it into stocks. You can put it into alternatives, right? All of those things. But the thing that a lot of folks, when you don't have, you know, option strategies in your back pocket and you have the choice of things like, you know, stocks, bonds, cash, or you go alternatives like commodities, you know, you're making the valuation of, well, where, where is this money going to work best? And, you know, when rates were really low, it didn't make a lot of sense to put money in there. As rates go higher, to me, that's always been a factor that will come into play when deciding, you know, what you're willing to pay for stock earnings. And, you know, the dividends on the S&P are, you know, actually I haven't checked what they are right now, but they're hovering around 1.4, 1. 1.35%. Do you take stock risk and earn that dividend or do you go earn 2.5% on a two-year treasury, right? That's where rates start to impact for me you know, the value of where dollars are going to be invested. Obviously, a more aggressive investor wants stocks. A more uh, conservative investor is like, hey, two and a half is better than losing, right? And they'll take that. And so you start to see a change in PE ratios because to me, that is the main dynamic between rates and earnings and slash PE fits right in there. So if the Fed's going to continue to raise and the buzz this morning is, we know Powell didn't say, he said 75 is off the table, but the buzz this morning is, well, just do 100 and get it over with, right? You're not impacting inflation at all. You need to just get the get the rate raise done and move on. By the way, I don't agree with that. I think, uh, I, don't, I know you don't agree with that, Derek. I'll let you explain why in a moment. But it just, it's it seems like that is sending, again, the, another, you know, speculative outlook on what's going to happen with rates is the thing that's pushing the market lower today because of the fear that, hey, look, you know, stocks just are less attractive if interest rates are at three or 4%. And who knows when, if that's even possible. So maybe that's something we should plan on. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. And, and I, you're correct. I, I don't necessarily just, I, I don't agree with the let's do 200 basis points. And because I, I, I still don't believe that what the Fed is doing is going to help inflation one bit. I'm sorry. Um, now, We'll get to the the recession thing, and, and I'll hold some of my comments for how it could, and that's on the demand side. I've always been on, like, I I think the going back to like 2013, 2014, when the the taper tantrum, I always thought the Fed had the case to raise rates back then, but.
but their messaging was off. Like they just should have come out. This is when Bernanke, they could have come out and said, we're going to do 25 bips this year, 25 basis points. That's a quarter percent. And that's all we'll, that's the only thing we're going to do. We're just going to do it. We're just going to, you know, here's a quarter point raise for 2014. And we'll look at it again at, you know, the end of 2015. And the market would have been fine with that. They could have stepped up and done 25 basis points every year for a while and probably normalized. I think sometimes, you know, their rates, what they're doing with rates isn't necessarily forward looking. So I, I agree. I think they should do a little bit. Um, I mean, they, they're not going to do 25, but I think 50 is reasonable. Do 50. You know, you'll be at a 150, around a 150 Fed funds rate. Um, but Jay, I mean, I think the two-year is a good proxy for what the Fed funds rate is going to wind up being. And the two-year is right around two and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. It might be a little little higher today. But I, but you're right about that. You know, the the point that you've you've made to me is, what's the rush, guys? Like, if you go too fast, you may have to cut, right? Like, fine, you've told everybody the next two meetings you're going to go 50 bips each time, right? we got 100 basis points between now and July. It's going to be raised. And then you're going to assess. Like, that makes sense. Rushing the 100 bip or 75 basis point raise early means you're probably going to have to unwind it, right, at some point. Like, the Fed is going to have to, you know, stop the recession that they're about to cause. And I think that's always been our fear, right? You and I have Gosh, we've said the risk this whole year. We st- we started talking about this in December, right, of last year. Said the biggest risk to the market is that the Fed raises and missteps and pushes the U.S. economy into a recession, and that you know seems to be looking more likely every day. Uh, you know, I don't know how else to slow down inflation. I think you're you're right. The Fed doesn't have the right tools for you know the. The uh, uh, I'm going to call it the labor shortage as well as the um, uh, as the supply chain problems, right? Like I just don't think their tools are going to fix it, right? The Fed can't impact China's production ability at all, right? Fed could do whatever they want. China's on lockdown. And there goes production, right? There goes the amount of goods that we're able to bring into this country, right? So I'm with you. I don't think they can impact it. I think they could just make a bigger mistake. And I think that's what the market is reflecting. And it's the risk we've been talking about all year. Yeah. And, and the fact that the yield curve is so flat, that is that is screaming. And the bond market a lot of time is makes, you know, is right before everybody else. They're saying we're not going to have crazy inflation past next couple of years. You can view that with the five-year, five-year forwards. You can, um, so yeah, I mean, I think the bond market tell, is telling us you don't need to raise that much. I mean, we'll see what happens. But, um, and, you know, with rates though, too, rates are, an, are really critical. I mean, it's an important thing to look at because going back to the whole idea of fundamental invest, investors and analysts use rates in their calculation for how much they should pay for a market. And it doesn't matter, you know, I mean, I'm just, I have my, my earnings estimates all plugged into my worksheet here. And all I did was I said, instead of an 80 basis point, 10-year treasury, I went to a 2.8 10-year treasury. I think we're right around there now. And that's the difference, all else equal, meaning we're going to have this earnings estimates are going to be 22, 23, 24, and then a little bit beyond it's a difference in your intrinsic value about 400 S&P points. That 200 basis points. Yeah, so, that's a big deal. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, so as earnings come up and people are putting this stuff into their models, that certainly is, is a, you know, a big factor. We, we talked about, you know, you mentioned it, maybe we'll transition to another R and that's the risk of recession. Oh, that's two R's actually. We could have gotten one, two, three, four, five. It's like a double R. Gotten, that's two for the price of one. Could have been, yeah, instead of five R's, we could have done six R's. Recession, Jay, the bond market did invert which is predicted, you know, it's, it's been true in all of the recessions. It's been, you know, there's some debate about when it happens versus, but, you know, 2006, 2007, bond yields inverted and they inverted in 2019. So do we think the Fed can cause a recession? I mean, raising rates does reduce demand. I think a good stat that I wanted to bring up to the viewers, viewers, the listeners, is I did some calculations based upon the the 30-year mortgage rate. And let's say you wanted to keep your payment at $1,000. And I could have done for any number of it, but you know, if you can do a multiplier, an easy multiplier of a thousand bucks. So at a thousand bucks in February 21, you could have afforded $245,590 in a mortgage payment, in a, in a in a mortgage balance. As of the end of April, it was 183,970. That's a 25% reduction in the amount of home uh, or, or amount of mortgage, the amount you can mortgage for every $1,000 payment. Jay, that's an example of demand being impacted by raising rates, right? Yes. And that is always the first one, in my opinion, right? The real estate market absolutely is the first one to get hit when rates change. By the way, the same was the, tr- the opposite uh, happened during 2020 when the Fed cut rates and it caused a housing boom, right? In the middle of COVID, right? A, people wanted to get out of the cities, but B, all of a sudden, right? You could get a mortgage at two and a half, two and three quarters and you buy a lot more house because what's more important than the mortgage, than the dollar amount that you owe in your mortgage, it's the amount you could afford every month, right? And so you're right that you've probably, you know, that is always the thing that raising rates impacts first to me. And uh, yeah, just buy less house. So guess what? Either A, you're not buying that house that you were thinking about buying because you're like, well, now I can't afford it. Or B, housing prices have to come down. That does also have a ripple effect into other areas like retail or remodeling, right? Like, you know, you, you, you if I, I don't know this statistic, but just from personal experience, most people buy a lot of new appliances when they get a new house, right? You're usually not using the old homeowner's dishwasher, washer, dryer, uh, maybe the refrigerator, because sometimes those are custom. But the point is, you know, it just there's all this other activity, furniture that kicks off when you buy a new house. And so with, as you slow down the housing market, you do slow down some spending. That is absolutely true. That, to me, is the thing that, you know, can reduce some spending and maybe reduce some of the inflationary prices, right? But you know, I don't know, maybe, but if you still bought the house, you're still waiting eight months to get a new dishwasher. So I don't know, because supply chains are killing you. And maybe you're willing to pay up a little bit because you want to get it done in four months instead of eight months. All those things to me are linked. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned appliances, those are durable goods and really any durable good. I mean, cars. So the Fed stopped. um, I was going to do that same calculation for, uh, for cars. The Fed stopped, uh, St. Louis Fed puts out all this data, um, dealer financing of new vehicles because that's really what you need not necessarily commercial banks commercial banks have been higher for new vehicles their their rate but yeah i mean not only is our rates going up for cars for car loans 
but the average price has been going up for cars. And one of the things they've done is they've extended the term. So, you know, it used to be you, you did a car loan for three years. Now they're doing it for 72 months and I, I don't know, 80 months now. So, but Jay, I mean, to your point, I mean, interest rates going up, it impacts everything. And also, it also impacts the inventory hold. You know, if you're holding inventory and you're financing that, it holds it. So I know you've been early on saying Fed raising rates may actually increase prices in the short run, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because it costs money to finance. And look, you're waiting for stuff. You got to pay for it. You're not getting it right away. There's an extra finance cost in there, right? And that's going to get passed through. Markets coming down and housing coming down also affects the wealth effect. In economics, that just means how much wealth people have. And if you have more wealth, you could peel away, you know, a little bit more of that wealth. And, you know, you talk about remodeling. A lot of people refinance their mortgage to get cash out to do remodeling, right? So I think you're right. I, do we think, though, Jay, that, that the risk of recession is higher today? I mean, is, is it, if we had a recession, I feel like it would be the most obvious one ever. And uh, so, yeah, so I, or, or, you know, the shallowest, right? Like, you know, the thing, I, the problem I've had with the recession prediction is that um, if people want jobs, they can go get them, right? Uh, we've talked about the jolts number in the past, right? 11 and a half million openings, 6 million people searching for work. You know, that tells you that, you know, people can find work. Now, there have been some hints of some layoffs at some firms or maybe reducing the amount of people that are getting hired, you know, amount of job openings they have open. But if people, you know, need a job, they can find it. Obviously, they're not getting the jobs they want, which is why they're still waiting. But at some point, if you got to put food on the table, you're going to go get a job that, that, that does that for you. And so, you know, I t- just feel like it's hard to have a meaningful recession in that kind of an environment. But- Okay, if GDP declines two quarters in a row, you could meet the technical definition of a recession, right? That could happen. And that, you know, and maybe, you know, rates slow down enough that finally this inflation thing works its way through and then it's over, right? So the technical recession may not be the worst thing, but gosh, like a deep recession just feels like that's a very low likelihood. I mean, everyone remembers the Great Recession of 1990, right? No, nobody remembers that. <laughs> it was, it right. wasn't like, that big. Wait a minute. It was a little later than that. Right. 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 But there was a recession then, right? Yeah. I think it was during, was the first Gulf War was 89, right? So yeah. that was the very end of uh, first President Bush term. And he had the, a mild recession as he was running for re- reelection. And uh, well, he had Ross Perot in there too, but that's a discussion for another. By the way, I, since we brought up politics, we didn't bring it up. I, I sort of mentioned it. Um, typically during midterm years, midterm election years, which we were in one now, you see choppy markets first uh, up until the election. And then you see markets take off at the back half of the year after the election. Uh, no predictions on whether it's going to come true again. But, you know, what is, uh, who's the guy who says history doesn't always repeat itself, but it rhymes? I'll use that quote. I think it's our friend Sam Stovall, right? 
Was it Sam? I think it was he's quoting. It was it's probably Sam quoting or some Sam's father literature yeah. or something. <laughs> something. Oh, that is, oh, oh, oh! In the markets, it's Sam, but it might be it's it's Mark Twain. I believe is the you know, oh, Mark literary. Twain. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Sorry. that is something too. I mean, we are in a midterm year, and by all calculations, and and uh, our our friend Spencer and I did a podcast a few episodes ago where we did a way too early look at the midterms. Uh, the, the odds say that, uh, the house will change and, and the Senate sort of 50, 50, whether it changes, but Jay, that is something too. I mean, this isn't the depth of the move year to date is, is maybe bigger, but I don't think it's unlike other midterm years based upon the data I've seen. I don't know if you have any comment on that. If not, we can move on to, uh, I want, I want to make a quick comment about the, the extreme move in the bond market. Listen, I, I feel it, you know, it might line up. It, I don't put a ton of stock, no pun intended, into that this year. I feel like there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. I do feel that uh, maybe the last, are we on the last R yet? When we talk about the the Russia one, might not yet. have, you know, okay, we're not on that one yet. Okay. So I do think you could maybe tie a little bit of, you know, political optimism in the market around kind of international policy, but it doesn't feel like, you know, that's the the the, the political situation doesn't feel like the main you know, driver here. I mean, you want to talk about oil policy and you want to talk about inflation related to that, maybe, right? So I'm trying to tie it a little bit and maybe that can cause that. But, you know, I still feel that as a minor, a minor thing compared to what's uh, going on with the Fed. Here's a quick stat on the U.S. aggregate bond index. That's the, the AGG, which is an ETF. Uh, looking at some data back to 1980, the, the largest drawdown for a full year total return was minus 2.92% in 1994. In 1994, they they had uh, about 250 basis points of rising of the Fed funds. And we are down, um, I mean, we're getting close to down 10% year-to-date total return on the AGG through the first five months. To put a little color on that, the probability of, um, let me see if I, uh, if I have this right, I don't have probabilities on the AGG, but the, you know, basically a two standard deviation move would be minus 5.61. Three standard deviations would be minus 12. This is a pretty historical drop in the AGG, you know, just thinking about that. It's not surprising. I, I, uh, I'm going to say I predicted it with my book, Broken Pie Chart, uh, which is, came out probably in 2018, that I, I laid all this out and it's, we had really low rates. And when you raise from a very low rate, um, the bonds are the problem and it's spilled over to the stock market. But Jay, that, that's a pretty historical drop in the AGG. Uh, yeah, right. We f- if we finish the year at minus 12 on the aggregate bond index, and you said that's a three standard deviation move, um, right? That's a 99.5% chance that doesn't happen. So it's only a, you know five out of a thousand times that would occur. Right. Not that we have a thousand years to reference, but that's statistically what the standard youth tells us. Yeah, it's it's highly unlikely what we're going through right now in the bond market. Is it an overreaction? I actually don't think the bond market has overreacted yet. Right. We've talked about this like we, we they've told us where they want to bring rates to. Um, I think the only thing that would stop it is if the Fed had to stop raising rates and cut rates because, you know, they put the U.S. into uh, into a recession. Gosh, we keep this is such a circular discussion today. I apologize. But, you know, all of these things are linked. And uh, so if we continue to track like that we're looking here. If you do get an overshoot, which is very you know normal when you have big moves like this, 
yeah, it could be one of those years that just isn't supposed to really happen for the bond market. No, 100%. I want to get to our last R, which is Russia. I'll just mention, for anyone who's listening who says, well, are these guys saying the sell? No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. I mean, we, we believe in being invested. We believe in hedging. What you're, you're not afraid of you know, moves down. You're afraid of losing you know, 30 40 50%, something like a 2008 unhedged. And guess what? Over time, markets do provide the best real returns, better than bonds, better than gold, better than you know, anything else. So, and, and I think I looked at some data the other day. Let's say we stopped here for the rest of the decade and the S&P companies stopped paying a dividend. That's it. I mean, we just end where we are here, December 31st, 2029. We'd still be better than, than the, uh, the 2000s. And we'd be better than, uh, you know, like two, I think the 30s for sure. And we'd almost be as good as the, the annualized return of the 1970s. So, like, this isn't that bad. The market's been up, like, a lot last couple of years. Most people have gains in the market. So, all right, last, last R, Jay, unless you want to comment on that, is Russia. Uh, feel free to comment on that, but let's talk about Russia. Let's get right into Russia, the last R. Let's do it. Okay. So, I, you know, I, I think I brought this one to you, right? I was, as I was coming up with the yeah. R's, right? And again, it's, it's the thing that, it's, it's, a, it's a really big unknown, right? And I know it's it's we're moving out of the news cycle. You know, we don't hear about it every 10 minutes anymore. But that, you know, conflict is still going and it will continue to go on for a while. I did see the U.S. Embassy opened up in Kiev, uh, I think, this week, which was I found very interesting. Um, so there's obviously some success there. To me, the biggest impact, forget about the human tragedy, which nobody wants to forget about that. Uh, obviously, it's it's uh, I can't, you know, imagine what's going on in, in Ukraine. But uh, when you think about the impact to the markets, again, it's higher food costs, it's higher metal costs, it's higher energy costs. It's what's Europe going to do, uh, you know, to, to keep the to keep the heat on next winter. Right. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, this could you know, this is going to have repercussions that are not going to be over anytime soon. And uh, for me, when we you know, we haven't even talked about the food impact, right? The food shortage, if there is going to be one, um, you know, wheat and, uh, uh, you know, corn and soy that comes out of, uh, out of the Ukraine. You know, it's just one of those things that I don't, I don't think we know the full impact yet there. And the reason why I bring it up is because it's just an unknown, right? We saw that initial hit uh, between February to the first half of March. You know, markets seemed to digest it okay a few weeks later. Um, but, you know, the inflation is here and, you know, prices on some of those commodities are, uh, uh, you know, are elevated and they're elevated in the face of a higher dollar. Right. So it's one of those things that, you know, we may not be done with the commodity uh, appreciation yet. And we haven't talked about the, the dollar very much, Derek, even you and I off this uh, uh, off this podcast. But, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, typically, right, uh, dollar goes down, commodities goes up because it takes more dollars to buy that commodity. Well, the dollar's going up and also oil and metals are going up. And so it's, you know, again, all of those things to me are linked with the Russia-Ukrainian conflict. And it's, it's more of an unknown at this point. And I'm not even going with uh, if something extreme happens from, a, you know, within the war itself. But there's just a lot of outstanding factors there that may give you some pause 
associated with, well, is inflation really going to subside with what the Fed's doing? Can they really impact what you know is happening from the Russian conflict? So there is my Russian brain dump. Yeah. And uh, you're right. I mean, the dollar, the dollar is absolutely surged. And we were worried, I think, in 2015 when the Chinese yuan got really strong. That caused a, a, a bad thing in the markets. It's getting weak. And China is cutting rates. And, you know, when you look at, uh, I, I can't find it, Jay, but, you know, there's, there's different ways. There's charts like oil priced in euros, oil priced in different. But you're 100% right. It's, it's a re- I, the first time I've heard that, and I don't know why people aren't talking about that. So I'm glad you brought it up. Like all else equal, if the dollar halved from here, you would expect oil to go up. So it would go up because you'd need more yeah. dollars to buy oil, right? A dollar, you need more dollars per right. barrel to buy it. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the things in 2008 was the story. The, oh, you know, if the, do- the dollar is getting weak, if it could go up. So yeah, it, it's, I think on a, on a Euro-based uh, basis, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's getting pretty expensive. The dollar, obviously, I mean, it, it's going up. I think there's a demand for dollars, though. It's not all interest rates. Although certainly when we have the highest rates and Europe doesn't, we're raising, they, they are bluffing, or, or I shouldn't say bluffing. They're, they, they say they might raise from, ne- <laughs> you know, there's still negative interest rates over in Europe. But back to Russia, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely out of the news cycle. And we're not, you know, if you, and I don't watch any of the, you know, the news shows that people watch like 24-7. Stop watching those. Like go outside, take a walk. But they, uh, they haven't been covering it. You know, they're back to some of the political stuff. So it is an unknown. And typically, I think unfortunately sometimes in, in conflicts like this, like people have to save face. And I don't know what, you know, a resolute resolution looks like where everybody gets to save face. That's an unknown to me. On on the food stuff, I mean, yeah, that's it's obviously impacting commodities and things like that. So I yeah, I I guess I'm unsure, Jay, where this all resolves. And it impacted the markets a lot. If there was a, a ceasefire and a truce right now and you know everything went would the market ratchet up 10%? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know because all the sanctions that, you know, continue to be levied against, you know, Russia, uh, you know, the, it's, they, they're not going to get unwound anytime soon. Heck, McDonald's, right, just sold its, what was it, 800, 900 stores that they had in Russia. They sold them to the franchisees. They said, we're out, we're no longer in Russia. Like, that's not something you unwind very quickly. If Russia misses a debt payment, and and I think you brought up the sanctions, I mean, some of this is, the invasion itself hasn't necessarily caused this. The sanctions have caused some of this. So far, Russia's been able to make their debt payments, and they have to make debt payments in U.S. dollars. Some of the the bonds have covenants where um, you know they can make a portion in rubles, or they can make some in euros. But if if they miss a debt payment next week, I don't think that's priced into the market. That's my feeling right now. I don't know if you think that the same way, but that would be a big deal. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's priced in, but I'm not sure of the impact either. Yeah. I don't know if they'll actually let them, you know, in the end, if uh, are they going to be so hard-pressed on the, on the sanctions that say, no, we're going to let a U.S. bank take a hit 
because uh, we're going to restrict the payment of dollars. I don't know why they couldn't just pay it in rubles and they switch right away. Maybe that violates the sanctions. I don't know. So I, so you know, I think reduction in multiple Russia recession rates, the retail side. I think you came up with another R that would have gotten us six R's. And I always say though, sometimes the the market climbs a wall of worry. Here it's uh, taken the 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 express elevator down on a wall of worry. And I think a lot of this is is priced in though. I mean, let's try and end on on a on a good note. We don't know where market's going to go, but a lot of this stuff is starting to be priced in. You don't get to a sixteen and a half multiple from twenty one multiple when earnings have not contracted on just nothing, right? Yep. No, you're right. Um, I, you know, gosh, again, broken record here, but it feels like closer to the bottom than the top here. You know, if somebody asked, would you put money to work today? You know, for the long term, my answer is yes, right? We don't invest for one week, two weeks at a time normally, right? These are longer term plans and you and I work through and, you know, it's, it's hard to give that advice to people like, look, it might, it might feel a little choppy over the next six months, but history tells us over the next two or three years, investment dollars today, you know, are profitable at levels after you have a pullback like this. And so, you know, I don't know the timing. We're not calling a bottom here, but, you know, we are comfortable putting money to work. And if it really gets bad, it's why we hedge anyway. Like if I'm, you know, 10% too early, okay, I'm going to avoid some of that loss through the hedging programs. So, you know, it's, it's, you're right. If to end on a, on an up note, the, the silver lining would be, Hey, markets at a discount. Right. You're getting the Nasdaq at a 30 percent discount. You know, history tells us that's pretty good investment over the over the long haul. Not only that, Jay, but I think some of the companies like the big companies and some of the fangs are down 50, 60 percent. Like you're getting you're really getting <laughs> discounts right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that goes back to if the earnings story holds up and if the Fed doesn't have to raise as much. I mean, I think some of the estimates on the, on the Fed raising are a little too high, but. Um, this is why we hedge. This is why I stay invested. And this is why you and I talk through this. And so people can hear a little bit about the things we look at, but in the end, it, you know, we don't trade on news. We don't trade on estimates. We trade on a system of buying and hedging. Jay, thanks again for coming on this week. I think we'll leave it there. And, uh, episode 170 next week, hopefully we can count on you to finally make an even number. I'll try my best, buddy. Thanks again for having me, Darren. <laughs> See you, Jay. Have a good one.